Please stand with me for our gospel lesson this morning. This is from John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the creator and God will give you another advocate who will be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now I'd like to invite our children, kindergarten through second graders, to join Pastor Renee for children's worship. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is this fabulous scene in the movie Elf. When Buddy the Elf, who is played by Will Ferrell, has wandered upstairs to the toy section of Gimbel's department store in New York City. The store manager comes in and says, okay people, listen up, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. And Will Ferrell immediately jumps up and down and says, Santa, oh my gosh, I know him. I I know him. Well, the funny thing is Will Ferrell later shared that this was a completely improvised moment in the movie. And nobody else on the set was expecting him to react that way. It really took everyone by surprise. But he said, it was just my articulation of Buddy taking that piece of news at face value. I know him. Here was this man far away from home in the strange land of New York City, finally getting to see someone he knows really well. And Will Ferrell said, I knew it needed to be the most jubilant reaction ever. He did just that, didn't he? Well, y'all may laugh at me, but that is the scene that immediately came to mind when I read this text in our gospel lesson today. That God will give you an advocate to help you and to be with you. You know him. (laughs) You know her. You know them. Because the spirit abides with you and will be in you. You know that voice. And so today I want to talk about this voice of the Spirit that God has entrusted within each of us. Now we might call it by lots of different names, that voice within us, our intuition, a gut feeling about something, a a holy nudge, 
that feeling in our chest. It's like the voice of an old familiar friend. And when we hear it more often than not, we know it. We know that voice. As the children's poet Shel Silverstein describes it, there is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long. I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to that voice that speaks inside. We know that God-given voice, don't we? Except how many of us were taught or even warned not to trust it, not to listen to it. We were quoted scriptures like Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who could understand it? Genesis 8, 21, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Whatever that voice inside of you is saying, we were told, it's selfish, it's manipulative, it's deceiving, it's wrong. You can never trust it. But that's such a different message from this message of the Spirit abiding in you, this this voice that you know, this voice of the Spirit that is always with you. That Jesus entrusted to us to be with us always. And many of us have spent or are spending years trying to recover from the teaching that this is a voice we cannot listen to. Pastor Keith Giles explains how certain brands of religion have prevented human beings from their own natural abilities to discern right from wrong. Because rather than teach people to think for themselves, in many sects of Christianity, people are told how or what to think. They're told not to trust themselves or their own thoughts because they are evil. They're taught not to follow their own heart because it is wicked. And they are instructed with other quasi-scriptural, logic-twisting manipulations that ensure no one will dare listen to that little voice inside of them. Without this mind-controlling feature of some sects of Christianity, normal human beings would learn how to reason how to recognize truth, and how to trust in that God-given inner voice designed to keep us always aligned with the God in whom we live and move and have our being. I read that this week, and I was even more curious. So I reached out to our resident scholar on traumatizing theology this week, Carol Harston. And Carol opened my eyes even further when she explained that survivors often flee traumatizing theology without knowing how to rebuild their own belief structure. She says, our job as the church is to help survivors by connecting them with God's spirit within them, by connecting them with the advocate that this text speaks about. 
Because, as Carol says, God's spirit living within each of us exists within survivors too, as the acting agent of their own healing journey. We learn to interrupt toxic cycles of dominance and helplessness by empowering survivors to trust the advocate. How can we empower one another to trust this God-given voice inside of each of us? It's hard work, isn't it? When for years you've been taught that it can't be trusted. And even those of us who think we fully recovered from our past experiences of traumatizing theology often find ourselves surprised when some of the toxic theology and ideas from our past pop up within us unannounced, like an unwelcome house guest, like weeds in the garden that we continue to need to pull and prune and pluck from time to time. I distinctly remember a conversation in my kitchen in Waco, Texas, in the fall of 2019, when some of my own toxic theology and beliefs sprouted up within me, and the nudge of a friend who helped me to recognize these thoughts and to prune them is part of the reason I'm standing here with you today. I had recently heard from the pastor search committee here at Highland who had asked me to consider applying for this position. And there was this voice within me that was so curious and even excited about this possibility. I would stay up late at night looking through your pictures on Facebook or on the church website. Wondering what this community might be like. Wondering what it might be like for me to be part of this. And I'd followed Highland's work and witness for several years. Highland is well respected across our Baptist landscape. The reality was I longed to be in a space that was more expansive theologically. In a space that really lives out its commitments to justice and love in the world. And then I deeply missed my family here in Kentucky, where I'd spent the first 20-plus years of my life. Not to mention the fact that I was living in Waco, Texas, (laughs) as a young, single person in my early 30s. (laughs) It was hard. I loved my church dearly. But personally, I was lonely, and it was a pretty difficult season for me. And so all of the pieces of this church and this opportunity in Louisville, Kentucky, just felt so right within me. And so I began to explain all of this to my friend Julie Pennington Russell, another pastor, one day. But after I explained all of these reasons why I was so intrigued and excited about this church, I explained the weight of guilt that I felt for even considering the possibility. I knew I couldn't leave my church in Waco, Texas, and so I painstakingly went out of my way to describe how following God always requires deep personal sacrifice, that we have to be willing to give up what we want in order to do what God wants, and it was irresponsible and it was selfish of me to even consider anything else. And I remember Julie just stood there in my kitchen (laughs) 
and looked at me with this puzzled look on her face. And she patiently listened to me go through all of these theological gymnastics about what God was thinking. And then she paused and she said, Mary Alice, don't you think that God cares about you too? (laughs) Don't you think that God cares about your personal well-being? And it was there in that moment in my kitchen that I suddenly felt this huge weed of this toxic theology growing up within me that I hadn't even recognized was there. Because for years I'd been taught that this voice inside of me, that what I wanted was wrong, that it was selfish, that it was deceitful, that it couldn't be trusted, and that it was always counter to what God wanted for me. And without even recognizing what I was doing, I was suppressing that still small voice that God had placed here inside of me. It makes me wonder this morning what the Spirit might be saying through that still, small voice inside of you. I wonder what are the theological weeds that you need to pull in order to make space for the Spirit to speak in your life right now. I wonder what weed-eating work you need to do in order to trust the Spirit that God has given you. Because there is a voice inside of us that whispers all day long. I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can describe what's right for you. Just listen to that voice that speaks inside. Part of being transformed into the people God is calling us to be in the world is learning to trust that inner voice. In his book, The Voice of Love, Henry Nouwen writes, you know that inner voice. You turn to it often. But after you have heard with clarity what you are asked to do, you then start raising questions, fabricating objections, and seeking out everyone else's opinion about what's going on. Thus, you become entangled in countless, often contradictory thoughts, feelings, and ideas, and suddenly you lose touch with the God in you. Only by attending constantly to the inner voice of love can you be converted into a new life of freedom and joy? Only by attending constantly to this voice of love that God has given us can we be converted into a new life of freedom and joy. But we know this voice, remember? We know them because they live with us. They will be in us is what God says. But I actually don't believe that this is only work for us to do individually with God. In fact, I believe that more than any one of us on our own, this text is meant for us as a community. Linda Lee Clatter points out that in the Gospels, the story of Jesus is never the story about Jesus and a single person or a single disciple. Jesus is always present and active with groups of people, real people, who sometimes struggle just to get along, and other times enjoy sharing their successes, their hopes, their questions and fears. 
So when Jesus promises to be in his disciples through the Spirit, it seems clear that he cannot be promising only mythical union with individuals. Everything we know about him suggests someone operating as an active presence in a communal context. Scholars actually point out that the Greek words used that are translated as in you, the spirit will be in you, can also be translated as among you, plural. Perhaps better understood for some of us as the spirit is among y'all. Which means, I believe, that just as we hear this inner voice speaking to us individually, we also listen to God's voice speaking to us to guide us as a community of faith. Now, I recognize that we are coming to this whole community of faith thing from lots of different angles. Quite a few of you are brand new to Highland. Maybe you are inching your way back into a faith community after years of toxic theology, and you're still struggling to trust this voice inside of you, let alone anybody else's voice. Some of you have called Highland your spiritual home for years. You deeply love this community. But it might feel like a completely different church post-COVID. Because so many of us are new, myself included. Maybe you don't yet feel known or seen in this new chapter of Highland. And you wonder if your church is still going to be for you what it has been all these years. And then some of you are still trying to find your way here in this community, trying to find connections, trying to find a place to belong here. These are just some of the voices that the pastoral staff and I are hearing from you these days. And I want you to know that we see you. Not only that, but we hear you. We as a staff are intentionally listening because in order for us to discern where the Spirit is leading us next, we've got to listen to this Spirit of God whose voice speaks to us as a community of faith. And as three of our staff get settled this summer and move and are finally able to be present here with you, We're excited to listen to that voice together, ultimately to discern where that spirit of God is leading us next. Did you know that this week, on May 11th, Highland celebrated our 130th anniversary? On May 11th, 1893, 27 charter members of Highland Baptist Church held their first Sunday service in the sanctuary. And I believe that that same courageous voice of the Spirit that called this community of faith at Cherokee and Grinstead together 130 years ago this week continues to call out to us even still. I don't think any of us were here on that very first Sunday. (laughs) Maybe one exception, I don't know. But the Spirit was, and still is, 
and we know her. We know her. We know that voice, the spirit that inspires our values and ignites our passions for joining the work of God, creating a world where justice and love are abundant. That same spirit is here with us all these years later. And we know her because she abides with us and she will be with us. And so may we continue to follow her lead, dear church, as we march swift of foot and brave of soul into our next 130 years. Amen and amen.